Open your Bibles with me, please, this morning, once again, to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. And let's continue on this morning in the series that we've been in, Many Members, One Body. Anybody been getting anything good out of this? You got to come to church to get some good stuff out of it. But we have released faith together since the beginning of this year for the growth and the increase of our church. But we want to do it God's way. There's a lot of ways that you or I or anybody could grow, grow a business, grow financially, grow in any area. And there's a lot of information in the world that'll help you do that. But then there's God's way. And that's what we want. Is that right, church? We want God's way. We're not just looking to grow for growth's sake. We want to grow and we want to grow his way. And we want to grow because he's the God of increase. And increase is his idea. Increase is his plan because it's his nature. He is the God of increase. So that's what we did a few weeks back. We released faith together. And I believe it's happening. Have you noticed that as you're coming to church, we're seeing new faces. The Lord's bringing new people to us. And we've got some new folks in here this morning. First time guests. Would, can, would you mind just raising your hand again? I don't want to call you out or anything. But look, can we just give God thanks for this? Look, this is awesome. Now, don't let me make this awkward for you, but church, one of the things we're going to do is when Sarah comes up on a Sunday morning and we take a few minutes to welcome first-time guests, we are no longer going to do this thing where it's like, oh, hey, glad you're here, whatever. Come on, we are going to get excited. We're going to make these people feel welcome, but more than that, we're not faking it. This is an answer to prayer. We are seeing our faith come to sight right in front of our eyes. And that's why we as a church family, we even, maybe some of you were here, you remember this, we, we reached out our hands and everybody found an empty chair and, and, and asked the Lord to send us people to fill up that chair. And we call the sanctuary full and overflowing with people who are hungry for God, people who are looking for Him, searching for Him, those who are lost and looking, those who are hungry and ready to serve. We want them all, Lord. Bring them to us. Amen. And it's not just growth for growth's sake. Why do we want the chair filled? Because in however many years of ministry experience that I've got, I have found empty chairs don't get saved. Empty chairs don't get healed. We want bodies in those chairs so they hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's able to do for them what he's done for us and so many others. Amen? So we're releasing faith for that together. And like I said, we're seeing it happen. But it's, it's not just about having more numbers. What we're going to see here from the scripture is that, yes, he's called us to be many members. But in addition to that, what does he want us to be? One body. One body. And that is God's growth plan and strategy for this church. I want to look at these verses again. And let me just read several verses to you here. It helps if you'll take the whole thing in context. So back up to verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you Gentiles were carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You know, this is the verse that my grandfather, Kenneth Copeland, came across decades ago. 
as he was just coming into ministry almost 60 years ago. This is the verse he read. And he read here that you can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And he realized every time I say Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit speaking through me. So you know what he started doing? Saying it over and over and over. And he was going to college as a 30-year-old freshman at Oral Roberts University. And he would take those textbooks that he had with the brown paper cover on the textbook. And he did what so many of us did as we sat through school, doodled on the paper. But you know what he was drawing? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He said, every time I say it, that's the Holy Spirit saying it. Jesus is Lord. And then he drew, he drew a, a circle that represented the world. And he drew a little banner around that circle that said, Jesus is Lord. Saying it by the Holy Spirit. Why don't you say it? Jesus is Lord. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you and through you. And what came out of that? was 60 years of ministry. And some of you are, are familiar with that ministry. How many of you have ever seen the Believer's Voice of Victory broadcast? You're familiar with Kenneth Copeland Ministries. How does every broadcast start? I'll tell you how it starts, because I've seen nearly every one of them. And my whole childhood was spent on the couch in the living room watching Mimi and Papa preach. I, I'm not kidding you. My parents would come wake me and my sister up at five till six in the morning and set us on the couch and we're going to watch Mimi and Papa preach on the Believer's Voice of Victory. And every day of my childhood was a struggle to stay awake because they wouldn't turn on any lights. We get out there and it's dark and they put us under a blanket and then listen to Papa preach. And then you get in trouble for falling asleep. Turn on some lights. But every day of my childhood, I heard these words. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Believer's Voice of Victory broadcast. I'm Kenneth Copeland. Father, we thank you for your word today. And every broadcast, 28 minutes and 30 seconds later, would end just like this. God loves you. We love you. And Jesus is Lord. You say that by the Holy Spirit. To think that started with somebody doodling on their college textbook. Praise God. He said, again in this verse, I make known to you, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. Or, uh, yes, calls Jesus accursed. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Then he gets into these gifts. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's what we talked about last week. Why does God give these gifts to the church? Why do these gifts operate in the body through the members of the church? It is not for the glorification of that member. It is not for the attention to be drawn to that part. It is for the profit of all. Amen. Verse 8, he said, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. And we added, for the profit of all. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, for the profit of all. To another, faith for the profit of all. To another, gifts of healings for the profit of all. To another, the working of miracles for the profit, for the benefit, for the betterment of all. 
to another prophecy, discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of this is for the profit of the entire body. Verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now he's going to make this clear to us by giving us the picture of what's happening when these gifts are working in and through the body of Christ. He says, look, it's just like this. As the body, the human body is one and has many members, but all of the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all called or we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now pay careful attention here because this is what I want us to focus on today. Verse 15. If the foot should say, and I just chuckle every time, that just paints such a picture for me. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? What's the answer to that? No. The foot doesn't get to make that call. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, and say this with me, indeed there are many members, yet one body. So this is what the Spirit of God is working on us. It's what he's been saying to us for weeks now, to begin thinking not just like an individual member, but as a member of the body. We are not interested in growing and just having a room full of body parts. We want these parts to come together, to function like a body, to think and to act and to speak and to move like one body. And we've said it over and over, but God is not impressed with high attendance. That's not something that he steps back and goes, oh wow, that's amazing, look at you. He's not impressed with it, and I'll tell you something else, your enemy's not scared of it. Just because somebody's got 500 or 5,000 or 50,000 people in their church, the number alone does not impress God and it does not scare Satan. What does touch the heart of the Father and what will strike fear in the heart of the devil is when those 500 or 5,000 or 50,000 start acting like one body. Oh, now you've got God's attention and you better believe you've got the enemy's attention. He is afraid of many members who are one body. That's what we're believing God for in this year and in the years to come. Many members, one body. Now, let me focus in on something here. We haven't ventured much past verse 20. We've, we've been talking a lot about the verses before that. But I want to read verse 21 and take a look at these verses with me. Some very powerful things in this. He says in the next verse, The eye cannot say to the hand. So stop right there for a minute. We've already read in the verses before this about different parts of the body talking. 
Didn't he say, if the foot should say? Or if the ear should say? What did the foot say? What does the foot say? What did the foot say? <laughs> Don't know where that came from. The foot, if the foot was able to talk. Now, how many of you are so glad God did not enable every one of these parts to talk? Now, they try, don't they? Remember I told you last week about how I slammed my toe into the corner at our house? That, foot, that toe was talking to me, man. Talking to me loud, was, was shouting at me. But aren't you glad it's not an audible voice? Aren't you glad that every individual part of the body does not have its own mouth? Your body would not shut up. Your body would be like, your back would be like, my back hurts. And your foot would be like, my foot hurts. And your eye would be like, I can't see. And your ear would be shouting all the time. You'd have every part talking to you nonstop. Come on, somebody say, thank God. For what? Thank God he put one mouth on this thing. One mouth. Now, unfortunately, this one mouth too much of the time, is giving voice to every different part that's talking. And it's speaking on behalf of the back pain. It's speaking on behalf of the foot pain. It's speaking on behalf of the, I can't hear as well as I used to. I guess I'm just getting old. It's doing all the talking for every other part. But the, the picture that the Spirit of God is painting through these scriptures is the part themselves doing the talking. And he said, if the foot should say, so you're going to have to use your imagination a little bit here. Imagine your foot could talk, and it said, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not going to be in this body. We'll talk more about this in a second, but imagine the foot being able to say that and then being able to actually do something about it. What if the foot could actually say, if I'm not that part, I'm out of here. And then he talks about the ear talking. What if the ear said, I'm done being an ear. I'd rather be an eye. And if I can't be an eye, I'm going to leave this body and go find a different body where I can be an eye. Except he wouldn't be an eye. He'd be an ear where an eye is supposed to go. How's that going to work? Not well. And this is the result of these parts talking. And he picks back up with that in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So here he's saying what I said a moment ago, these parts, these individual parts of the human physical natural body, they can't talk. In other words, your eye does not have the ability to say to any other part, the ear or any other part of the body, I have no need of you. Your eye can't say that. He said the head cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. Which that alone is powerful when you realize who the head of the body is. Jesus would never, will never say to the foot, even though it looks to be the furthest part from the head, he will never say to the foot or any other part for that matter, I have no need of you. The head can't say that. The eye can't say that. And yet he's, he's still talking about all these parts that are supposedly talking to each other. And he said in verse 22, No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. 
and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on, the, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, we have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body, having given it greater honor to that part which lacks it. Do you hear this word honor? Honor. Honor. He keeps using this word honor. He said, God put the body together, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. We'll talk more about that. That, verse 25, there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And, he said, members individually. You're the body and you're the members. How can you be both? Because the body is made of the members. Now, there's emphasis I want to put on one of these verses in particular, then go back and look at what's going on around it. He said, I'm saying these things to you that there should be no schism in the body. Everything he said in this chapter concerning the gifts, what the gifts of the Spirit are, how the gifts of the Spirit operate, everything he said about the body and the members of the body and many members in one body, he says, I'm saying this to you so that there would be no schism. No schism. Now, your first thought when you hear that word, maybe it's like mine. It's not a word we use too much, but it, it, it sounds like what he's saying is, I don't want any division, right? I don't want any strife. There shouldn't be any fussing. There shouldn't be any fighting in the body. And that's very true. But the word schism, to me, is an even stronger word than the word strife. It conveys an even stronger idea than two people just not getting along or two people fussing or two people arguing. If you look the word up, the word schism actually has a, a different meaning. I, I wanted to demonstrate for you what the word schism is and what it means. If you study the word, it literally means to divide by tearing apart. Tearing apart. What's Paul saying by the Spirit of God? I'm saying this so that this body doesn't get torn apart. I don't want this body torn into pieces. The word schism literally means split by tearing. So it's not just people fussing. It's what all that fussing, if it's allowed to go on, if it, that strife, that division, if it's allowed to go on, what it results in is a schism, a split through tearing apart. And what did Paul say? I'm saying all this so that this body doesn't get split. 
Is this still a relevant issue in church bodies today? Oh, you better believe it is. Every day all over the world, bodies made up of members who have come together because of strife and division that's allowed to get in, splits occur. But I'm going to go ahead and quote Jesus and something we'll look at here in just a moment. Something he said to his disciples. It ain't going to be this way among you. It is not going to be this way among you. We're a baby church, but I don't mind going ahead and prophesying it right now. There will never be a split in this body. Never. I said never. Never will there be a split, a tearing apart of this body by the grace of God. Do you believe that? I do too. Never will there be a split. But he gives you the the solution to it. He gives you the way of living so that there will never be a split. And it's not just about a church body, a church family not splitting. If we had time, and maybe the Lord will direct us this way later, but you'll see it. This has to do with homes. This has to do with houses, people, families in a house. It has to do with relationships. And what I've come to see more clearly than I ever have before through this series is that, yes, you and I and the people the Lord's brought to this this church family, we're a body made up of many members. But everything I'm preaching to you, I go home and apply. How many think that's a good idea? Yeah, preacher, you ought to do that. Well, what about you? Huh? What about you going home and applying this? In my house, we're a body made up of four members. It's me. It's my wife, Sarah. It's our son, Justice, our daughter, Jesse. And every member in that house has a grace, has a part that they play. And I'm telling you right now, in the name of Jesus, there will never be a split in that body. Never. You can declare the same thing over your family. There will never be a split. Why don't you just say it out loud? There will never, there will never be a split. You need to say that to one another. There will never be a split. There will never be a split. Sarah, girl, I'm telling you, there will never be a split. But he tells you how. It's one thing to say it, but look at what the scripture says. This is how to keep the split, the schism from getting in the body. It goes back to what I said to you already. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? In other words, if you left it up to your foot, if your foot had decision-making power, the ability to talk, the ability to do whatever it wanted to do, and if your foot said, well, I'm not a hand, then I'm leaving this body. I'm going to go find another body where I can be a hand. Except he's going to have the same problem that the ear had. He's going to try to attach himself to the end of an arm. And then that body's going to have a foot where a hand goes. How's that going to work? It's not going to work. But if that foot had the ability to do that, he would cause a split in the body. Again, aren't you glad your feet and your members of your physical body don't have this power? They don't have the ability to disconnect themselves and go look for a different body to join up with. 
Can't happen. Thank God for that. If the foot should say, well, I'm not a hand, so I'm not going to be a part of this body. Can he do that? No. If the ear should say, well, I'm not an eye, so I'm not going to be part of this body. Is it therefore not part of that? No. Let's just take this right here. What we're going to see in these verses is there are two things that happen through the members of a body that cause the split. And you're seeing the first one right here. It's a, it's a member of the body saying, because I don't have that place. And because I don't have that grace in this body, I'm going to go find a different one where I can have that place. Where I can operate in that grace. What's happening? It's a member of the body, a part, not valuing its place. It finds more value and more, ready? Honor in another part, in another place. And they want the, the honor that they perceive that goes with that place because it looks like it's more honor there than it is here. So they, they split. They disconnect. Now again, our physical bodies can't do it. But these bodies the Lord puts us a part of, whether it's our family or our church family, it's happening all the time. Why would a part say what the foot said? Why would somebody who has a God-given place in a body say what that foot said? If I'm not that part, I'm not a part of this body. Well, they don't value where God has put them. They don't see that God, it was God who did it. They don't see that it pleased God to put them in that place. All they see is the glory that goes with being that other part. And so the foot says, I'm tired of being a foot. I got to be stuck down here all the time, always getting walked on. I'm tired of being a foot. I want to be a hand. Oh, the hand gets all the glory. The hand gets all the praise. Oh, yeah, you can reach out and grab stuff. Whatever, I can do that too. As a matter of fact, that's the place I want. That's the grace I want. And if somebody doesn't put me in that place, and if somebody doesn't tell me that's my grace, I'm going to go find a different body where they will tell me that's my place. I'm going to go find a different body where I can be that grace. The only problem is a foot, the way it's shaped, the bone structure will never be a hand. Never. As much as it would want to operate in that grace, never will it happen. Right? You are never going to get anywhere in this life with a foot stuck here at the end of this arm. It's not going to work. And the reason the split occurred is because the part didn't see the value. But what did we read? Back up. Look again in verse, where was that? 22, he said, no match rather those members of the body which seem weaker, they're necessary. We can't live without them. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, 
Our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. Our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body. Who composed the body? God composed the body. God composed the body having given greater honor to the part which lacks it that there should be no schism. He did this in a way so that every part, help me Lord, God takes responsibility for making sure every part, whether that part is seen, whether that part is visible, whether that part is covered up with clothes or shoes, or whether that part is tucked somewhere on the inside where nobody will ever see it. God will make sure that if that part is in its place, operating on its grace, it will be honored. It'll happen. He will make sure that it is honored. That's what the scripture is saying. God gives honor everywhere it's needed. If... And this is a big if. If that part will stay in its place. There is no honor for a foot trying to be a hand. God can't honor that. Why? Did not please him to put it there. But he takes personal responsibility for making sure that every part is honored. Whether it's seen by a lot of people or never seen by anybody. God will honor it. But these schisms and these tears and rips occur when parts, members, don't put value where God puts value. And that's what the word honor means. It literally means value. If you look it up, it's the word price. Price. And see, this is one of the things people don't understand about prosperity and prosperity teaching and preaching. Raise a hand if you've ever heard anybody say a negative something about prosperity teaching and teachers and preachers. Yeah, we all have. But there's something people don't understand about it. They think prosperity teaching is limited to somebody preaching about money. And there are things the scripture has to say about money. How many of you would like to know what the Bible has to say about it? And there is a God path, just that there's a way to to grow this place God's way. There's a way to grow financially God's way. But prosperity teaching is not limited to what the Bible says about money. A better definition of prosperity teaching would be, how does God value? Where does God put value on things? Because his way of valuing things is so different than the world's way of value. He puts value in different places than this world puts value. And biblical prosperity is somebody putting value where God puts value. And that's what these verses are talking about. God will value, God will put honor and give honor to a part and a place when it's in its right place, when it's operating in the grace he gave it to operate in. Is this helping, is this making sense to you? So really what I'm doing this morning is preaching prosperity to you. Because we're finding out what God values, what he honors. And he will make sure that if the part is in its place, it will be honored. Whether people see it or not, he'll make sure it gets honored. So why would a foot try to disconnect? I'm not getting the honor. Nobody's putting the value on me that I think they should be. 
Now, it's not happening in the physical body, but tell me, does it happen in churches? Does it happen in marriages? Does it happen in families? You better believe it does. You're not valuing me. You're not giving me the honor I think I deserve. So, split. But if the part will find its place and stay in its place and let grace operate through it to be a benefit to the whole body for the profit of the whole body, God takes it upon himself to make sure that part gets honor, gets value. See, we're going to have to change the way we value the part he's given us. I don't want split, not in my house, not in this house. So I'm going to have to put value where he puts value. And if you have not valued your place, you need to understand that's a much more serious thing than you may realize. It's Satan who is a minimizer. It's Satan who is a belittler. It is Satan who tries to convince people of how little they are worth, of how little they are valued. That's his whole thing. And as long as you entertain thoughts of nobody values me, nobody honors me, nobody values what I bring to the body, what I bring to the body isn't significant, guess who you're listening to? And guess whose words are in your mouth? Huh? It ain't God's. You are letting Satan minimize and belittle you. But I want to read this to you from... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll put it on the screen, verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You were bought at a price. A value was placed on you. I love this so much. There's so much revelation here, church. He's talking to you. He's talking about you. You were bought at a price. This is how value gets assigned to things. When somebody puts a sticker on an item in a store and says, it is $9.99. Now, regardless of what it costs to make it, regardless of what it costs to acquire it, the moment somebody comes in there and is willing to pay $9.99 for whatever this thing is, in that moment, that's what it became worth. Why? Because they paid a price for it. Right? Are you following me? And there are people who have paid huge sums of money for things you and I would look at and say, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? You paid that for this? Just do a little digging around sometime on your own. Look at what people have paid for stuff. And you think, you paid that much money for that dumb little thing? I could have paid off my house, my car, my credit card, put my kids through college for what you paid for that old thing, whatever it is. And the temptation is to look at what somebody else paid for something and judge them and say, that's not worth it. You're a fool. You paid too much. For that, it's not worth it. But the problem is, if you didn't pay for it, 
Come on, help me out. You don't get to decide. You are not the one that gets to put value on that. Whether you think it's junk or not, they are the ones that get to put a value on it because they're the one that was willing to pay whatever price was being asked. So what do you get to do? You get to shut up. You get to keep your mouth shut. Why? You didn't buy it. You didn't pay for it. And I don't care if you wouldn't have given 10 cents for it and they gave 10 million the moment they paid the price. That's what the thing became worth. Listen, if to nobody else but them. You could have seven other billion people on the planet all raise a hand and say, yeah, that's trash. But the one who paid for it determined its value when they paid for it. What did the scripture say? You were bought with a price. What's that mean? It means a value was placed on you. And you or nobody else gets to look at you and say, I'm not worth E. And yet religion has taught us to come before God and say what? I'm so unworth E. What are you saying to God when you say that? I'm not worth it. I'm not worth it. Yeah, I know you paid, but that was stupid. You paid too much. God is not a fool. He does not overpay. He knew what he paid. He knew the price. He was willing to pay it. And if to nobody else, you're worth it. He's the only one that gets to put value or to say what you're worth because he's the only one that paid. And the Bible says you and I were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. We were redeemed. We were bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Glory to God. That's the value that was placed on you. For lack of a better phrase, there was a price on your head. And he paid it. I said he paid it. He paid the price, and then in that moment, that is what you became worth. And so faith says, if you say I'm worth it, I'm worth it. If you call me worthy, I'm worthy. I know it's not in and of myself. It's because you paid the price. This is not diminishing your place. This is not devaluing your place. This is not minimizing your supply in the body. This is magnifying it. Oh, God, thank you for the high price that you paid. And if you saw fit to make me the little toe on this body, glory to God, I'm going to be the best little toe this body has ever seen, could ever have could ever want to have. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to operate in my grace for the benefit of the whole body. The whole body. But if this little toe splits, man, I got to careful preaching about this little toe again. If he decides to split because he's tired of being walked on, he's tired of being covered up every day. He's tired of having those stinky socks put on him every single day. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. It seems like one of the littlest parts in the body, but balance is thrown off. Stability is thrown off. Why? Because the rest of the body was depending on that part to do its part, to bring balance, to bring stability.
Somebody say, don't split. <laughs> don't split. What prevents a split when every part, whether it's seen or unseen, heard or unheard, when every part values itself and its place the way God has valued it. And when you do that, what are you saying? Lord, I trust you to honor me. I'm not looking for leaders to honor me. I'm not looking for my spouse to honor me and value me. You have already put the most value on me that can be put on anything in the universe. What else do I need? What else do I need? And if you'll get in that place, operate in that grace, seen or unseen, God himself will be sure to honor you. Amen. Amen. Come on, say amen. 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 Now, there's another problem, though, in the body. The first problem we see that causes a schism is when a member doesn't value their place. Well, I'm not done talking about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, We do not dare class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What would cause a part to not put the same value on their part that God puts on their part? Comparison. This is why a foot would say, I want to be a hand. Comparing their place to another place. And we all know this, that your perspective of somebody else and their place and their life, it's never accurate. Oh yeah, you look from a distance. You look, you look through the portal that is social media and you see a picture of a family of four smiling and you think, man, they look happy. We just fight all the time in my house and they look so happy. Anybody can look happy for this long. One, two, three, cheese, click. You don't know about the screaming that was going on before that, the screaming that was going on after that. You can't see what got spilled on that dress. That thing has been so photoshopped. People have taken out zits. People have taken out all kinds of things to make you think how glorious it is. This is why the Bible says we are not wise to compare ourselves among ourselves. If you're using somebody else and their part and their place as the measurement of your success, you are a fool. You're a fool. It's not wise. Don't do it. And I'm preaching to myself. This goes back a long way in me. I grew up in and around ministry, literally born into it, spent my life on the front row of church. And when it came time to graduate from high school and I was trying to decide college, church, what's it going to be, I took this path where I said, okay, I'm going to go work full-time for my parents, my family. I'm going to let church and ministry be my university. And I'm going to soak it up and learn everything I can. So that's what I did. And several years later, as I served my parents on their staff and, and got promoted to different places... I recognized, and unfortunately I didn't recognize it till much later, but this temptation in me to look 
elsewhere at other churches, other ministries. Let's look at what they're doing. How are they growing? And it's a good thing to look and to learn. It's a bad thing to compare. Because it, it's, it, it never produces anything good. You're always either going to find somebody doing more than you or doing less than you. And if you're using them as the comparison, then if you find somebody doing more and better than you, then your estimation of yourself is low. But if you compare yourself to somebody doing what looks like less than you, then your, your estimation of yourself is too high. There's a problem with using other people as the measuring stick. You don't get an accurate reading. But I was doing this. I was doing this as a creative director at my parents' church. I was doing this as a youth pastor. Man, I remember going to youth conferences in places around the country, and we had this little youth group. We had a youth group of about 120 teenagers. That's a good-sized youth group. But I walk into this youth conference, and the youth building of the church was tens of thousands of square feet. You walk in and it's massive and there's a full basketball court and a full cafe and multi-level arcade and a 1,500-seat auditorium with state-of-the-art sound and lights. And I start using this as the measurement of how good I'm doing. And so I did what so many others have done and I came home and said, we're going to do that. We're going to do everything they do and we're going to do it just the way they do it. But what's happening here is um, criticizing, diminishing, minimizing the impact we're having because it doesn't look like the impact somebody else is having. And I'll never forget getting on an airplane. My grandfather and I went to Tulsa for an event. And we went to the event and it was time to come home and we were in his little twin engine Baron, just a twin engine, four seat, six seat airplane. And uh, he's flying, I'm flying right seat. And we take off out of Tulsa, and, and it's quiet. And, and the whole day, I have been formulating this question. I want to ask Papa something. And I've been working on this thing all day. And finally, as we're mid-flight, I said, Papa, I want to ask you something. And again, he'd been in ministry, who knows, 40, 50, almost 50 years at that point, probably. And this has been a while back. I said, Papa, I want to ask you something. You've been in ministry a long time. Have you ever felt the pressure to look at another man in ministry and the pressure to be like that? The pressure to minister like that? Or the pressure to do in, their min in your ministry what you see them do in theirs to try to get those same results. And what he said to me so impacted me. I remember every word of what he said. And if you're writing notes, you might want to write this down. I asked him this question, have you ever felt this pressure? I'm going to give you a direct quote of what he said. No. <laughs> End quote. And of course, I was like, yeah, me neither, totally. I, just, I, don't, I don't know who would feel that. I'll be honest with you, in the moment, I did feel a little deflated. I was like, Jeremy, what, man, grow up. 
And it was quiet for a minute. And then he said something else. And this is really what stuck with me. He said, Jeremy, when I started in ministry, the Lord said something to me. He says, he said to me, if you want to learn from other people, you can. But when it comes to being like somebody, you be like me. That's what the Lord said to him. You can learn from other people. But when it comes to being like somebody, be like me. And that makes good sense, doesn't it? Because if we're using somebody else as the measuring stick, that's too low. I don't care who they are. How many seats they got in their auditorium. How many people are coming to church. What their pictures look like on Instagram. If you are using somebody else as the stick, somebody other than Jesus, that's too low. That's too low. He has given you the grace. He's given you his spirit and his word to make you just like him. Like him. One of the reasons people don't value their place is because they're busy comparing it to somebody else's place in somebody else's grace. Don't do that. Why? Causes splits. Causes a tearing and a ripping. I had a whole lot more to this. I'll give you one more thing and maybe the Lord will help us get to it later in time. But there's another problem you see here. And it's when the eye starts talking. And the eye says to the hand, I have no need of you. Or the head says to the feet, I have no need of you. Two problems in bodies that cause splits. One, not valuing your place enough. Two, valuing your place more than you ought to. The eye saying to the hand, you know what? I got this. You know what? I think, I, I think if, if all this body had was me, it'd be fine. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, oh, Lord, do I do this? Two minutes. Yeah, preach, pastor. We want to hear it. It's so good. Amen. I know. Praise God. Thank you, guys. Y'all are so encouraging. And it's just such a joy and a privilege to get to share the word with you. You're hungry. I love it. I love that about you. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, verse 1, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, if you'll change the way you think, it'll change your life. Verse 3, for I say through the grace given to me, Paul had a grace to speak. Paul's place in the body was to say some things. Paul's place in the body was to declare some things. And he's saying this, by that grace, I'm going to say to you, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Other translations say realistically. Other translations say honestly. 
One of the big problems in bodies that causes split is, yes, a, a part not valuing itself the way God values it, but another big thing that causes splits is a part not thinking realistically. It is not realistic for the eye to say to the hand, I don't need you. What are you going to do without that hand? I. Oh, look at that. That looks good. I think I'll have one. No, you won't. You'll never have another one of those or anything else as long as you live because you don't need the hand. That is not thinking realistically. That is not thinking honestly. I say to you through the grace given to me, everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, honestly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And what does he go right into? For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Two things that cause a split. What are they? Not valuing your place highly enough. What's the other one? Not thinking soberly. Not thinking realistically. Esteeming yourself too highly. And what is the great equalizer? What did he say? God has given to everyone a measure of faith. That measure of faith. Now that faith, we've, we too often think of faith as just the way we get stuff. Faith is how I get my needs met. Faith is how I get healed. And faith is how I prosper. And it certainly is. But you forget that faith is your access to God. That's what faith is. Faith is your access to Him. And when you realize that you, as whatever part you are in the body, you don't have any more access to God than the little toe. He gave that part just as much access to him as he gave to this part and to that part. And when the parts realize that, the part will never say to another part, I don't need you. The part would never say to another member, I can do this without you. Or think too highly of themselves. We realize when we look at each other, you got the same access to God that I've got. I don't have anything. I have nothing with him that you don't have access to. That keeps me from thinking too highly of myself. Keeps you from thinking too highly of yourself. Amen? Amen. Say it again. No split. No split. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.